my core, I believe that every single person knows something that I don't know, and it is a thrill and a joy to figure it out. That's the voice of Fisher Yan. At 27 years old, she is already one of the wisest people I've had a chance to feature on this podcast. She graduated from Dartmouth College and has had a very successful start to her career in business. Fisher credits her summer selling Cutco as having provided her with a foundation for success. But her mindset goes beyond just succeeding in her career as she truly aspires to use her influence to contribute to others. Listen to this quote she first heard at Dartmouth. The world's troubles are your troubles and there is nothing wrong with the world that better human beings cannot fix. If that quote inspires you, then you're in the right place listening to this podcast and you'll love getting to know Fisher Yan. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm very excited about my guest today. Her name is Fisher Yan. And Fisher was a rep for one summer with the company back in 2010, shortly after graduating from high school, worked for a couple months with Vector, and then moved on to college uh, at Dartmouth College. And uh, while she was in college, Fisher started her own nonprofit, which she'll describe today. After graduating from college, she worked with Uber for a while, and she has since been in the venture capital industry and uh, has had a lot of great successes and great experiences that she'll be able to share with us today. Uh, I think it's always cool to have a guest who did not necessarily work with Vector for many years, but got one summer of experience and has drawn upon that experience ever since then. Uh, And so we're very excited to be able to share with you the insights of Fisher Yan today. Fisher, thanks so much for making time for the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honestly honored to be among the guests that you have on your podcast Fantastic. Well, we're, we're grateful to have you here. And why don't we start by hearing a little bit about your background, if you could uh, tell us a little bit about yourself so that people can get to know you briefly. Sure. So I was born in northeastern China, and I came to the U.S. when I was two. And I grew up in Fairfax County, Virginia, uh, went to public school, uh, was part of the marching band, went to church and did that entire community thing. And well, in terms of starting my career with Vector, 
I had just graduated. I was still in my robe and someone handed me an unmarked envelope. And I was very curious to find out what it was because at the time I didn't have a summer job and I had three months to pass before I would start school in September. And so when I opened this envelope, uh, lo and behold, it was an offer to interview at a place that I'd never heard of before, uh, Vector Marketing. And I thought, well, I'm interested in marketing. And so I showed up for my interview in the Fairfax County office under Rich Plaskin, uh, who I know has done an episode of your podcast before. And he uh, did the group interview with me. And I thought, wow, this is really fun. And these products are incredible. So I actually love to cook. I grew up cooking with my family. And so uh, knives are actually very important in my household in terms of everyone knows how to use one and we care a lot about the quality. So I was super excited about the product and it was just a really fun environment to be interviewing in. And then I got accepted to the team. Awesome. I can remember being in my interview and the product was a big confidence builder for me. My mom, I would consider to have been a gourmet cook, uh, grew up in France, lived in Italy for a while. And, and, uh, you know, I always tell people that, you know, I, I got to eat a gourmet meal like seven nights a week when mm -hmm. I was a kid. <laughs> and so when I saw the product, I thought, oh, she would really like this stuff. And if she would, other people would too. So that was a big attractor for me when I came in as well. What were some of the experiences you had during that summer working that you can recall or lessons that came out of your experiences? So I was really fortunate, and this is something that I think about a lot now in my career and venture, but I definitely had the first mover advantage. So I was the first person in my friend group and in my community who knew about the Vector opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so because of the communities that I was a part of in my time growing up in Virginia, I had access to these networks of people that I could reach out to who had also never heard of Cutco before and be that first person to call them and introduce them to a great product. So I picked up the phone books from my elementary school, from my high school marching band, from my church community. And I was able to reach out to all of these people. And that I think was a really helpful lesson in terms of the power of community and the impact and impression that you leave on people when you first meet them and how those relationships can really last a lifetime or that they introduce interesting opportunities when you least expect them. Something else that I had learned that summer was the power of phone time. That was something that Rich had taught us about of like, that's, that's how you get to the meetings. And I think that there's a lot of hesitation when you pick up that phone in the very beginning, if you're not used to cold calling people, uh, that it can be really intimidating. But I found that talking to strangers has been a really big part of my job and has had a lot to do with the success of my career. And I'm so grateful that they not only taught us how to do it, but really pushed us to get past that initial awkwardness because I found that it has served me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Fantastic. The whole thing you said about talking to strangers being a big part of your job, talking to people we don't know is a big part of our life. It's, it's not just something that's pertinent to work for you know one person, but it's pertinent to life for everybody. Uh, we've got to be able to build relationships. We have to be able to get to know people. Uh, it applies in so many settings in life, not just in work. And, and uh, just such a great point that you made that people have to get used to that feeling of overcoming a little bit of fear right? And taking action and then being able to connect with other people. And so you had a chance to practice that, you know, numerous times uh, during your summer experience. One thing that I wanted to add in terms of uh, talking to someone who you've never met before that really powers me through these interactions. In my core, I believe that every single person knows something that I don't know. 
And it is a thrill and a joy to figure it out. And so that has really been another motivating factor in terms of talking to new people and then the exploring the new opportunities that it leads to. Mm, what a great uh, phrase you just said there, that every person knows something I don't know. And it's a joy to figure that out. Like that's just a great mindset about connecting with people and getting to know people and having that curiosity and interest uh, in others. So I really love that. So at the end of that summer, you went off to Dartmouth. Tell us a little bit about your experience there. So one of the things that I'm most grateful for in my Dartmouth experience is that I was dropped in a place where there were a number of ambitious people with all sorts of professional interests. But the most important thing to me was that there was a quote at our school and the saying goes, the world's troubles are your troubles and there's nothing wrong with the world that better human beings cannot fix. That was from one of the early presidents of Dartmouth College. And we were reminded of that quote every single year, whether it's the beginning of the year or during graduation around what the Dartmouth education could give to us and also empowering us to think about our ability to impact change on all sorts of problems, whether it's environmental, political, business related throughout the spectrum. And I think that through that inspiration and interests of my own, it kind of gave me the action platform that I needed to start the Dartmouth chapter of this nonprofit called She's the First. So She's the First is a nonprofit organization founded by these two women who are based in New York. And I found out about this organization through a friend who's very close with them. And essentially they're mission statement is to make sure that girls and women have the opportunity to pick their own futures, which I am a hundred more than a hundred percent behind, especially being a woman in business where I'm in environments where there aren't a lot of people who look like me, uh, whether it's uh, I'm the only person of my gender or the only person of my ethnicity. And so when I was in college working with this nonprofit, I found a lot of opportunities to use the skills that I learned at Vector, uh, whether it was fundraising or recruiting an organization. There are so many aspects of selling and marketing that showed up uh, through the development and the entrepreneurial spirit that I needed to get the organization off the ground. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So when you were at Dartmouth, you majored in geography. Is that correct? I did. So this is fascinating to me because I, I don't know if I've ever met a geography major other than you. And I love geography. So wh mm -hmm. what is it that, why did you get in geography? So the way that I started in geography, I actually came from the economic side. I started Dartmouth as an econ major, and I found that I was much more interested in behavioral economics than quantitative econometrics. Mm -hmm. And so I was exploring a lot of the liberal arts side, and I took a class on economics of geography. And that really looked at how the relationship between businesses and people and politics are tied to location. And so the number one rule of geography is that things that are closer together are more similar than things that further apart are less so. But geography allowed me to explore a number of different disciplines, including sociology, anthropology, and linguistics. And the way that all that has helped me in my career is thinking about how decisions are made, how uh, people are motivated. And it served me really well in working in international environments where uh, at GGV, I was working uh, with US and China and in my current capacity with US and Japan. Oh, okay. Great. That's awesome. Well, it's cool to hear that uh, you're able to study something that you enjoyed and 
got a lot out of there. So that's great. And I, and I really like uh, what you did in, in working with the, the nonprofit and using your vector skills to further a cause that, uh, that you believed in. That is inspiring. I think a lot of people can, can draw some good inspiration from that. So you finished college and then after Dartmouth, you joined Uber. Tell us about your role there and just what, what was it like working there? So while I was at Uber, I was on the marketing and operations team based out of San Francisco. And there were a wide range of events and marketing programs that we put on. So from organizing Ubers at the Super Bowl to putting kittens and puppies in cars, uh, as um, we called them stunts, I found that I relied on my phone skills quite a bit because we had to call various animal shelters. We had to cold call drivers to ask them to help work our events. And it always ended up being that against my other coworkers, uh, phone time came really easily to me and I would finish my entire set of like 100, 500, however many people I needed to call while other people were like, Ooh, this is really awkward. I don't, feel comfortable doing this. And so sometimes I would even coach people through how to do the phone process and how to get to more yeses. Wow. So you're part of the marketing and advertising team. And, uh, and there was a lot of the, a lot, a lot of use of phone time. Oh in, yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. The things that, uh, are mirrored through my experience at Vector and it just recurs throughout my career. Yeah. So I'm not sure if you're aware, but the founder of Uber, Travis Kalanick, he is also a Cutco Vector alone. No way. Yes. Wow. He worked for a summer in Los Angeles area, and he he's fascinated by what we do at Cutco. I know that he has a friend in the business community who's one of our other Cutco alums who worked with us for like twelve years. But uh, and they met in San Francisco, and that uh, Travis just couldn't stop asking him about Cutco and Vector and just what we do and how we do it, and was very very interested in how the company has progressed since he was here. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting uh, to, to share with you as well. What was it like working in a company like Uber? I mean, you're part of one of the fastest growing startups in, in the world. What was it like? Uber in fall of 2015 was the rocket ship that people said it was. Being in an environment filled with incredibly intelligent people who were so hardworking, it, it honestly reminded me a lot of the energy that I felt in the Vector offices in terms of people who were incredibly driven and excited about a product. Uh, confident in the product that they were selling and just coming up with creative solutions to help more people discover a product that would honestly change lives and help people. One of the projects that I'm personally very passionate about that I got to work on before I left was a foreign language program that helped turn the marketing materials that we use to onboard drivers to suit the demographics of the local area. So in San Francisco, more than a quarter of the drivers were Chinese. And so I was able to take my Chinese language skills and help convert a lot of those materials to help onboard people who deserve equal opportunity to be drivers for Uber. And that was also something that I was actually able to capitalize on in my time when I was at Cutco was to uh, give the pitch in Chinese and sell to a demographic that might not have otherwise had access to such a great product. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. So after Uber, your path took you to GGV Capital. And, and let's spend some time talking about this because I want to hear a little bit about what you've done there. What were some of the lessons that you've learned and, and your experiences? So why don't you uh, run with that one for a while? So my time at GGV Capital, I feel like was a series of 
adventures in me saying yes to new opportunity. When I was thinking about leaving Uber, I didn't know that much about venture capital. However, I was presented with the opportunity and I trusted in my ability to learn quickly. And I joined the team, initially working on events and community. So to put this in perspective, we hosted about 50 events a year, ranging from founder salons and dinners and master classes for about 20 to 40 people to 100 or 200, 300 person conferences that would be full days of content and speakers, video production, podcast production. So a lot of the programming that we did involved being hands-on, being organized, being hardworking and detail-oriented. And so initially my work started out with events, but eventually it moved to content production and it led to me co-producing two podcasts for GGB Capital. Oh, that's cool. So in the podcast you were producing, you guys were interviewing various founders, right? Founders who had started their own companies. What were some of the lessons you learned during during that that time? It's so interesting to see the parallels between the stories that the entrepreneurs had in founding their tech companies and what I've heard from your podcast in terms of changing lives and the entrepreneurial spirit that it takes to uh, have a product and sell it. And thinking about some of the most important lessons that I got from the GGB podcast, it was just incredible to hear about what inspires people to work hard and the types of impacts that they impact that they wanted to make on other people. One specific thing that I really liked that our podcast did was that we would always ask what books people read. And I think that was really informative because I'm a huge advocate of learning. I think innovation, especially from the tech perspective, is happening so swiftly that if you're not always learning, you'll get left behind. And uh, the people that performed the best as founders were people who are always willing to learn and had the humility to learn. Yeah. What you just said about if you're not always learning, you'll be left behind is such a critical life concept. I really believe the essence of life is growth and that we're always either growing or we're dying. It's one or the other. And and there's, there's no in between and uh, there's no standing pat. And so it's, it's important to be consciously making an effort to learn all the time, every day, in, in all the different settings that we're in, both informally and formally, we need to be learning and growing and improving uh, consistently. And the people who do that are the ones who naturally attract more of the circumstances into their life that they want, have a lot more of the success that they want, and and, and really create this upward spiral in their life. And uh, it, it's cool to see that, uh, that uh, you heard that from a lot of people. Can you remember some of the books that stood out as uh, common recommendations from some of these successful founders? Yeah, absolutely. And I ended up reading a lot of these books if I hadn't already read them, and I highly recommend them. So, of course, How to Win Friends and Influence People, that I think is super helpful both in sales and just building out your personal network, your personal brand, and having amazing people in your life. Another book that I've gotten a lot out of is called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And he was a former hostage negotiator. And the book is all about negotiation and how to communicate effectively. That's cool that you mentioned Dale Carnegie. I feel like uh, that book 
more than any other is it's like it should be mandatory reading for every probably like 15 year old kid to start getting into their bloodstream a lot of the concepts in the book you know carnegie talks a lot about the idea of the genuine interest in other people curiosity the things that you are describing that you've developed in terms of your skills and meeting people and connecting with people and there's so many good things in there that uh that he shares that i think are are relevant and that book was written in like 1938 or something and it's still you know, one of the truest books to learn from today, uh, here in, uh, in, in many, many years, almost a hundred years later. So very, very Yeah. Cool. The amazing thing that I find about that book, besides the fact that it's evergreen is that the content in that book is not incredibly complex. In fact, a lot of it is very intuitive, but it's easy to forget those parts when we kind of get in our own head. And so ideas around thinking, what are the types of things that people need to hear that would be useful for me to share with them as information rather than just trying to be right or serving my own personal purposes? I think that a lot of these things, it's easy to lose sight of. And so when I had interviewed a founder, she actually recommended reading it once a year. She is a very successful sales professional and she finds that every time she reads it, she is reminded of something that helps her in her business immediately the next day. Yeah, exactly. I think that repetition of good ideas is a critical element to be able to internalize the lessons. So, you know, with a book like Carnegie's, it's something that people can certainly read more than once uh, and can come back to from time to time. And most people, if they read something once, it kind of goes in and then it goes out and it doesn't get retained. And one of the keys to being able to, uh, you know, have a lot of value to add to the world is that that value is internalized, that it's a part of who we are, you know, as our part of our very being. And uh, the more repetition we can give ourselves of really good ideas, the more that the ideas get reinforced. And that's why I think like, you know, listening to podcasts on a regular basis is really valuable because you're getting that audio learning and you're getting that repetition in your head of similar concepts. There's a lot of common themes throughout these podcasts that, uh, that people have shared that I feel like are very important for, for everyone to internalize. And, and of course, uh, in a lot of the great books, as you said, there's a lot of ideas that are similar from one to the next that, that uh, are extremely helpful and very, very powerful. One thing that I would also say in terms of the value of podcasts or audiobooks, so I'm a firm believer that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And not everyone has the luxury of being surrounded by high-performing, really successful people in their everyday life. But when you're listening to the audio from podcasts or audiobooks where you're listening to these success stories and these become the voices that you hear regularly, these voices of positivity and ambition and all of the tips that they drop, these become the people that you are spending the most time with. And I find that in a lot of modern work environments, uh, whether you are an entrepreneur or you work in a remote office, that you might end up spending a lot of time alone. And so the people that you interact with, you might not be having deep conversations with. And so although it isn't a dialogue to be talking to the people who are in the podcast, just being around that high energy environment is really inspirational. And it's surprising the effects of having those voices in your life can do to what you think about your career and what you think about yourself. Yeah, that, that's a great point about us becoming the average of the people that we spend the most time around. And, and this happens subconsciously. It's, it's, you know, the, the more that we're exposed to certain ways of thinking, the more we begin to adopt those ways of thinking. And gradually, very, very subtly, but very 
very definitely, we develop these habits, beliefs, routines of the people that we spend a lot of time hanging around and listening to. And as you mentioned, right, if we can be listening to good material, right, consistently uh, and getting those ideas into our head, those become a part of our very being. And so it is a, it's sort of a proxy for being around people is to be able to just listen to the good stories, read the good stories, be exposed to the ideas in different ways. So it's a very, very cool. So look, you're 27 years old. You're on a very positive track, it seems, in your life and in your career. And I just feel like if there's Cutco reps who are 18, 19, 20 years old listening to this, virtually every single one of them would say, I would like to be where you are when I'm 27. And, uh, and I would just love for you to share some of the advice you would have for younger people. And really, this applies to anybody at any age. But what advice would you have for people who want to take a big step forward in their career in the years ahead? So something I like to do is try one thing that scares me once a week. And that pushes me to be outside of my comfort zone, as well as say yes to opportunity. And I think those two things put together will get you into a lot of interesting situations. Another piece that's really served me well is a piece of advice my friend gave around find what your personal monopoly is. And that doesn't necessarily mean starting a business on your own if that doesn't feel like the right thing to you. It might be taking the experiences that you have and creating a really interesting solution that speaks to your unique strengths. So for example, I was able to create a personal monopoly in being cross-cultural because I grew up in a Chinese household and I experienced Western culture outside of my house. So when I was at Uber, I was able to take the English marketing materials and translate them into Chinese and serve an entire demographic, a quarter of the drivers in San Francisco in a way that no other person on my team could do. Same thing for when I worked at the venture capital firm, I was able to take my experiences in growing up in two different language environments and help my US team understand our Chinese marketing team and vice versa in taking those cultural differences and channeling them through my experience to help talk to both sides. And so I think that it involves a little bit of creative thinking, but when you create that personal monopoly, you create an avenue in your career where no one else can be you and you can't be replaced so easily. What a great insight that was right there. The idea of the personal monopoly. One of my friends and a favorite podcast hosts uh, is a guy named Christopher Lockhead. And he talks about the idea that how important it is to be different, right? That it's, it's, it's more important to be different somehow than it is necessarily to just to try to be better than other people and figuring out what are our unique traits, our unique qualities that we bring, right? And creating that personal monopoly. As you said, that makes you irreplaceable, right? Because there, there can be no other Fisher Yan, right? Uh, for what you're bringing to your organization, your teams, the people that are around you. So uh, that's a great insight just on uh, the personal monopoly. You said, uh, you know, try something that scares you at least once a week. Can you tell us something that uh, fits into that that you can recall from recently? Well, I'll tell you about a story of a time that I tried something scary and how it has become a really core part of my life. So, for fun and for exercise, I decided to take an aerial acrobatics class. And 
it was definitely outside of my comfort zone. I wasn't strong enough to do a lot of the basic things in that class. It involved some scary things for me at the time, which included being upside down and climbing 30 feet up in the air. But I stuck with it because I thought it was interesting and challenging and it continued to scare me. And as I continued my practice, they started throwing in scarier things like drops and being up there for longer periods of time, which included more strength requirements. So I set a goal for myself that I wanted to be able to perform uh, this new skill of uh, silks, just like you've seen in Cirque du Soleil, yeah. within a year of my training. And so I committed to that goal. I put in the hours. I was continuously scared and pushed past those fears, uh, learned new tricks, met incredible people who talked me through and mentored me. And I was able to complete that goal this past August, uh, where I performed uh, three or four times uh, for a group of my friends at a professional circus. And it just goes to show uh, my other piece of advice is don't be afraid to be a beginner. I think that a lot of people get really excited about being successful and already accomplished. But I think that there's a lot to be said about a willingness to try new things because you might find out that becomes your personal monopoly. You might find out that this is a different way of doing things that eventually the industry will adopt. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying about the first mover advantage. But it does require you to be humble enough to be a beginner and to not be excellent at something amazing right off the bat. Mm, that, that's a great insight. So the silks are these like drapes that come down, right? If you're at the Cirque du Soleil show, they're yeah, long they're curtains. Like long curtains, and you kind of wrap up in them, and you do different things where you're flying through the air. Right? Like I've seen this; it's, I've seen virtually every Cirque du Soleil ever. So I'm a huge fan of Cirque du Soleil. In fact, I'm going on December 23rd in San Francisco to the Oh no way show. Yeah. So anyway, but uh, that's cool. Awesome. That's neat. But, you know, you said something about just the whole idea of trying things that scare you. In one of my interviews, uh, Andrew Bosworth, who's one of the biggest uh, executives at, at Facebook now, he said he optimized for the steep learning curve. He optimized his life for the steep learning curve. And I think a big part of optimizing for the steep learning curve is deliberately looking for challenges, things that are outside your comfort zone, things that force growth. And, you know, it's, it's, it's great to hear you say that. And I think this is one of the reasons why people take the job selling Cutco is they have to do stuff that's outside their comfort zone. And, you know, for a lot of new reps, if you ever feel that fear in making phone calls or fear in doing some part of the job or fear in something else in your career, I think it's very important to shift your thinking from, oh, no, I'm afraid to, oh, this is actually going to be good. This is going to force me to grow. This is positive, right? viewing those things in a positive way is integral for growth and and being able to become the kinds of people that we have the potential to be. So I feel like that's a great insight that you offered as well right there. Another piece that I'll add to that is a phrase that I actually got from She's the First. We had it on our t-shirts and it says, go the extra mile. It's never crowded. Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks a lot to the steep learning curve it speaks a lot to trying new things that are the road less taken in that when you have the stamina to do things that are different and the ability to work harder and longer, you'll find that your stamina is what puts you past all of the other people and puts you past the crowd and makes you really stand out. Uh, that's definitely something that Rich uh, has talked about in his podcast and that he imparted to me was that when you 
crank, you, you bank, you, you put, put in the hours. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Fisher, you know, the theme of our podcast is changing lives. And as you look into your future, five years, 10 years, even more down the road, how do you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? When I think about my career five or 10 years down the line, I think about the positions that I've been in so far where I haven't found a lot of mentors or leaders that look like me, and I want to create that space and opportunity for other people. So diversity and inclusion is really important to me. It was important when I was in college doing She's the First and helping girls be the first in their families to have a secondary school education and really chart their own futures to my choice to be in an environment right now where it's mostly male-dominated, and I hope to find more female leaders in that space. That's fantastic. That's well. It's great to see uh, that you are a, a role model for other people, and you're you're you know you're cutting a path for a lot of other people to be able to do what you're doing. Uh, and it's excellent to see a lot of your success. I feel like you've offered a ton of great insights today, Fisher, for our audience. A lot of things that people will will uh, be able to remember and get a lot out of. So, just really want to thank you for your time and uh, all the value you brought to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All right, fantastic. Fisher Yan, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Uh, That is a clearly amazingly talented and passionate young lady. I loved what she said about relationship building and learning relationship building through her early Cutco experience, you know, making phone calls, talking to strangers, and just how important that is uh, in business and in the world. Uh, her concept that every person knows something I don't know, right? And I can't wait to find out what it is. That genuine curiosity and interest, such a good idea right there. Loved hearing how Fisher used her vector skills and has used her vector skills during her experiences with Uber and in the venture capital industry. It seems like she's always been willing to step out of her comfort zone, uh, where she talked about adventures and saying yes to new opportunities, trying something that scares me once a week, being willing to be a beginner. These are all great insights for anyone to take and to implement and utilize. The idea of the personal monopoly, certainly one of my favorite concepts that came out of this interview. And just something awesome for you to think about today is what are your unique traits? What are your unique qualities? What is it about you that's different, not necessarily better than others, but different from others? that you can leverage to add value to your communities, to your work, to all the things that you do. Last, I just want to say that Fisher referenced a quote that uh, she heard at Dartmouth about the idea that the world's problems are our problems and there's nothing out there that uh, we can't fix right? through our own personal effort, through our own personal experience. And I just want to say that I, I really feel uh, that, that quote resonated with me that uh, we all have a responsibility to be able to help others and help improve the world. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably among some of the most fortunate people who exist. And being grateful for that, I think, is critical. But then also realizing that we have a chance to impact people in a positive way. We have a chance to change lives through our influence every day. We have a chance to make a difference in so many ways in the world and finding the ways that you can do that, be they very small little tiny ways on a day-to-day basis, things that come up, 
or much larger ways that you can impact other people around you uh, as Fisher aspires to do, as so many of the guests on this podcast aspire to do. I do believe that's a part of the responsibility that we have and a part of the legacy that we can all leave. So I hope that inspires you as well. And I hope that you all have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.